This is a Charisma News exclusive report concerning the San Bernardino Massacre. And now, here's founder and CEO, Steve Strang. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Strang Report. This is Steve Strang. Today, we have an exclusive interview with Rabbi and Pastor Bruce Dowell of the Shiloh Messianic Congregation in the San Bernardino, California area. This was the congregation that was attended by the man who was killed one of the 14 victims in what they call the Christmas Party Massacre last week. So stay tuned after this word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Terry Law Ministries at World Compassion. Terry and his team trains and disciples new believers and a generation of new church leaders in non-Christian countries. They provide church planning and evangelism to reach and teach even those unreached nations. They distribute Bibles and other Christian literature, including the Story of Jesus booklet. Their ministries provide humanitarian support. It opens doors for ministry and spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ministry works with a local indigenous church to empower leaders to make change in local communities. And now, to get your free copy of the Spiritual Weapons book, go to worldcompassion.tv backslash shop. Here it is again, worldcompassion.tv backslash shop. Enter coupon code CHRO6. Would you do that and support this great sponsor of this program? Welcome back. I'm talking today to Pastor Bruce Dowell, who is the head of the Shiloh Messian Congregation. And, you know, this is kind of a sad story because of this horrific terrorist attack that happened. Uh, So first of all, let me thank you for being on the line with me from California to just tell the story about Nicholas Thalassinos, who was one of the 14 victims. And the media has covered the fact that he was a Messianic Jew, but there really hasn't been very much that's come out about us. So tell us how you knew Nicholas and what you know about the story. Sure, Steve. Nicholas was a a member of our congregation for uh, approximately the last two years. He came in full of the love of the Lord, a real servant type of individual, and and quickly uh, made his way into the ranks of of our shamashim. Shamashim is the Hebrew word for servant or uh, deacon. Uh, He was a deacon in our congregation, loved to serve the people. He was friendly to everyone, always praying for people. So he was doing everything from prayer to, you know, carrying heavy loads around the congregation. Uh, That's just who Nick was. You say he was a member for about two years. Is that when he became a believer in Yeshua? No, No, he became a believer in Yeshua, I think, in 2013, he told me. And so he came to us shortly thereafter. Uh, he came to faith, was really looking for a, uh, I believe he was looking for a congregation that was Messianic. And of course, Messianic congregations are, uh, you, you don't find them on every street corner. And so he, he found us a couple of years ago. It may have been a little over a couple of years now, but uh, right in that, that time frame. The reports that I've read in the media and even that we've put on our own Charisma News site is that he was a very, very strong uh, supporter of Israel and apparently had some words with this uh, terrorist, Saeed, uh, about Israel. Tell us what you know about that. 
I do know that they had some sort of uh, uh, an argument uh, a few weeks ago, Saeed and Nick, and it was uh, over the, uh, I'm sure it was over the Israel-Islam kind of issue, the Jew-Islam issue. I don't know the details on that, but no one thought much about it. It was really just type of disagreement that any two people anywhere in America might have over uh, faith or politics. So no one really thought anything about it. However, we do know that that, uh, Saeed made a threat against Nick two weeks ago. And that threat went along the lines of, uh, you you are never going to see Israel. Uh, so that we did know that Nicholas had shared with his wife, Jennifer, who in turn shared with me on that. And, uh, so as far as an argument, the day of the party, the day of the shooting, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I have not been informed that there was any type of altercation on that day whatsoever. Now, whether it was or wasn't, I, I don't really know. But the the main one seemed to be a couple of weeks ago. And did you find out about it before the massacre, or did this just come out after the killing? No, it all came out after. I mean, I saw Nick on Shabbat on on the Saturday prior to the week of the of the shooting, and he didn't mention anything to me about it. And he and I uh, spent some time talking. So. Uh, yeah, I, w- I wasn't privy to any of that until afterwards, and then, of course, speaking with his wife and kind of probing and uh, asking questions, so on and so forth, it started to come out. Now, how did you find out about the attack? You know, people all over the country, like me, were getting little news alerts on their iPhones that there was a shooting taking place, but how, you know, you're out there. In fact, uh, right. you're, you're only a couple of miles from where all we're this happened. We're about 15 miles from where it happened. So how did you hear about it? Well, actually, I was sick in bed all last week with the flu. The phone rang on Wednesday morning, and it was one of our, uh, another one of our members, a different member, said, we need to pray my daughter-in-law is in a county building with an active shooter. So we got, we, we started getting the prayer going for that. She managed to get out of the building okay. And so we thought everything was good. And then Jennifer called us and said Nicholas was at that party for the county workers, and he had, she had not heard from him. And that was a little disconcerting because Nicholas was a real talker, and he would have called her immediately so that she wouldn't have worried. But that's how we found out about it. And then, of course, we went into prayer mode and, and all of that. And then a little later on, on Wednesday morning, my wife went down I said I was flat in bed with the flu. She went down to San Bernardino and met up with Jennifer and kind of helped walk her through all of the process of waiting and and, uh, dealing with everything. So tell us about how you found out from Jennifer what was happening. She called. She, uh, the first word she said to me, she said, Nicholas hasn't called me. She said, I know he's been killed. And I said, well, Jennifer, I, this was early in the morning. I said, we don't know that yet. I was just trying to, you know, be her pastor and shepherd and really help her through this and, and to to uh, seize uh, on to, to hope here. And she, I think she just had a sense that he was gone. 
but we heard that and and then the days began to unravel from there. How did you find out that he was actually killed? My wife was down with Jennifer, as I said, and they were bringing people in from the from um, all of the other people that had been in the building. So they'd take them to a, a kind of a, a gymnasium, I believe, for the most part. And they were then releasing them over to the interview room where they were uh, being interviewed and, and the police were taking all of their stories, so on and so forth. And... The, the the crowd just started dwindling throughout the day, and finally my wife and Jennifer and then the other 13 victims were the ones left. They didn't get in and get the bodies till the very next day, so we didn't know for sure until the next day, but they they came in and said to the surviving families, they said, well, everyone's been accounted for in the hospitals and with all of the other people that were in the building, so... That was that was how the news came, uh, and then he, then we had to wait another day to really find out for sure uh, that he was one of the victims. And isn't it so true? That was a long day. Wednesday. Is, isn't it true that not everyone in the room was killed, but most of the carnage happened right at the table he was at? Yeah, we have talked with some investigators, and it would appear that the table that Nick was sitting at was a targeted table. Many people in that room at that party uh, weren't hit at all, so it wasn't as if the gunmen came in and just uh, sprayed 360 degrees. They seemingly had uh, an intended target or targets. Saeed was in the health department for five years, I believe? Yeah, I think that's what they said, about five years. And, you know, you told me earlier that you, your family actually had some interaction with him uh, as a health department official. Could you elaborate on that? One of my sons is a county worker as well, works on the roads up here, here in the San Bernardino area. And because they're county, both county employees, there was some crossing of paths. So they had rubbed shoulders and, and, and talked from time to time. We also have another uh, individual in our congregation here on the mountain that led Saeed through one of the uh, inspection walks at the at the, one of the Christian camps up here. So uh, he was, how should I say, uh, kind of a familiar face up on the mountain. He did the, the inspections. I, I heard of somebody the other day that has one of the uh, restaurants up here. They took their health certificate down because his name was on it, and it was just too weird for them. And was so there, he was part of the community. You know what I'm saying? Was there any evidence at all that he had this potential for violence? No, I don't believe so. It was kind of came out of the out of the blue. We had no uh, inkling of that. My son didn't have any inkling of that, and the the guy that walked him through at the at the conference center on inspections didn't have any inkling of that either. Uh, he just seemed like a normal guy doing his job. That's kind of how everyone uh, basically saw him. My understanding, he wasn't overly friendly, but that, of course, is no indictment, obviously. Obviously. Let's talk about Nicholas. Uh, you knew him well? Pretty well. And what kind of person was he? You, you know, you've already characterized him as talkative and outgoing and a servant uh, leader in your tr- in your congregation and so forth. 
But uh, just tell us about what he is and, and then compare that or contrast that with the things that have come out about him in the media, some of which uh, are pretty disgusting. Yeah, well, let me, let me kind of reverse the order of that, uh, that, that uh, question. Uh, Nicholas, uh, the, the, the media is putting a very, uh, some of the media is putting a very uh, negative spin or trying to put a negative spin on Nicholas, trying to paint him in a portrait of being, you know, a radical, crazed Zionist. And that just is not the case. I mean, Zionist, by the very definition, just means that you're an individual that believes Israel should have a homeland and a country of their own. And I would say by that definition, a, a, a large part of America would, would qualify as Zionist. Well, I'm, I'm proud was, to call uh, myself very, a, a Christian Zionist, so I agree with you entirely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he wasn't, it wasn't like he was, you know, a militant he was not a militant individual whatsoever. He was strong in his faith, and he shared his faith everywhere he went. I mean, one of the gals at the at the health store uh, came to our service last Saturday. She doesn't attend our church, uh, but she came to our service last Saturday, and many of the people in the congregation know her because she's at the local health store. And, and Nicholas was just in there last week, and and just they were talking about the Lord, and, and Nicholas was telling her, don't forget to keep Shabbat, and, and uh, you know, just that kind of uh, a thing. He, he talked with everybody. He wasn't bashful, so, I mean, he could talk to a total stranger without any problems whatsoever. We used to kind of laugh, and, and he was probably the best-dressed person in the entire congregation at all times. And in fact, I believe he was uh, probably the very first one of the victims that was identified because of his his dress. He always wore bright shirts and always red or white suspenders. So, so his wife Jennifer said, you know, when you're identifying the bodies, just look for suspenders, and that's Nicholas. And uh, sure enough, so he was just always evangelizing, always praying for people. Uh, he was a people person. Uh, that's the best way to put it. And, and in fact, uh, one of the other victims was a good friend of theirs, and, and she's Muslim. So it wasn't like he had an axe to grind here. That wasn't, that wasn't it at all. He had uh, Muslim friends in the county that he really uh, enjoyed. How is your congregation reacting to this? Well, we did pretty good this week. We had a pretty good uh, attendance this week, uh, which I wasn't sure how it was going to go. We did have a police presence at our at our uh, services this past weekend. They came out. They were bold uh, in that sense. We, uh, I, I was sharing with you a little earlier that uh, we have a, a fairly hefty security team ministry on, on at both campuses so we our people have a heightened awareness because of our association with Israel because of our uh, the way we celebrate our faith the Christian faith with the the Hebraic roots obviously puts us on the radar is as, as far as extremism of or extreme 
extremists from Islam would would be able to spot that. So we're always on heightened awareness. So they they all took it very well. Obviously, I was sharing as I was speaking with the congregation. Nicholas is going to be a he's left a hole in the fabric of our of our congregation because Nicholas was extremely visible, very involved in many of the people's lives. I mean, not just, uh, you know, for a few hours on Saturday morning, but uh, he was involved in people's lives. He, he was a people person. When is his uh, memorial service going to be? His memorial service is going to be on the 19th, Saturday the 19th. We're inviting whoever wants to attend uh, here in the, in the community. Uh, even the pr- uh, his wife, Jennifer, even said the press is welcome. We want to use Nicholas's death. Uh, to bring glory to God, obviously, to the the best of our ability, and so she is uh, she's opened that up to uh, whoever wants to come. That's going to be at our uh, Calamesa campus. That'll be on, on Sunday the nineteenth at, at uh, ten a.m. We're going to have Lev Shalot, which is a messianic uh, band that Nicholas loved, going to be there, and so we're just going to really make it a celebration of life type of situation uh, is our intent. You know, there's a lot that's still coming out about this couple and how they prepared speculation about other terrorist attacks that they were planning when they were gunned down by police. Uh, Today, we're mainly talking about Nicholas trying to set the record straight, you know, because you were his pastor and would know him in that way. This has been described as the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil since 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, you just wonder what's happening. So let me just pose this to you. What, what do you think is going to be the outcome of this? And what lasting legacy do you think there will be with Nicholas and his life? Uh, I think the lasting outcome for myself is very evident. Jihad is here in America a fact of life. It's something we're going to have to deal with. I think, I suspect it's going to to increase, and I suspect that the the battle, as it has in so many other countries around the world, boiled down to as much of a religious issue as it is a political issue. And therefore, I think that uh, congregations uh, need to be on the alert. You know, most congregations, I don't know what kind of security they run, but I think that all all Christian churches and congregations should begin to put some thought into that. I know I've had Messianic rabbis uh, and pastors from around the country calling me this week, wanting to get together, and, and uh, some of them have expressed the desire of sending people out here to learn from our security team how we keep our security fairly tight. So I think that that is going to be something that the church needs to really wake up to and begin to prepare. I think that, uh, Nicholas, if if this is the legacy, if he can help believers to prepare for uh, end-time eventualities, I think he is more than pleased with that. The whole incident, because he was messianic, is obviously kind of thrust the messianic portion of the church into the the limelight for a season, uh, which is, uh, I know he would be very happy about that because so many people don't even know anything about the messianic side of Christianity. And uh, 
So I think that he would be very happy with that. So, you know, my word to the churches would be, you know, we need to start taking security serious. We need to be vigilant. We don't need to shrink back. We need to preach the gospel, and we need to preach the gospel as if there's no tomorrow, and not to cower, but to be bold. I shared with our congregation this weekend, after it all happened, I said, listen, guys, we were chosen for such a time as this. And we are the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's what we've been commissioned to do in our generation. As far as Shiloh goes, uh, that's what we're going to do. So I think that would be my, my, my word to the churches in general. Well, that's a good word. And I want to thank you for taking your time. I know you've been bombarded with requests from the media and so forth, but... You know, we have covered the Messianic movement so much and, and uh, you know, really resonate with what you've said today. And so we wanted to share this with our listeners, and I'll be writing about this in my newsletter as well. I also want to thank you for the way that you're providing leadership there in your community, pastoring the Jennifer during this, you know, time of grief and so forth. You know, I hope that you'll stay in touch because I know that there will be other stories that will be coming to light as this thing unfolds. Uh, I hope that we can also interview Jennifer at some point just to set the record straight and to, in a way, honor the memory of Nicholas. So thank you once again, and uh, thank you to those who are listening and for tuning in today to The Strang Report. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.